I very much enjoy road trips. Do you have anybody in here who likes road trips? Take road trips? A few of you? All right. I love a road trip. And for me, one of the, the better parts of the road trip is that you really don't have a, a destination. The trip itself is the destination. It is the, the, um, the major component of it. Um, as opposed to, you know, the, the, the trip where you're going to Disney World or Sea, sea World or some other destination where you get in your car and you drive for hours and you're, you're what? You're in that in-between time to your location. And what do you hear a lot, especially if you have kids in that in-between time? Are we there yet? The famous question of kids that drives parents up the wall. And you tell them what? 15 more minutes. Always 15 more minutes. Even if it's three hours, 15 more minutes, because that's all their attention span can take anyway. So, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but it's hard, because it, with a destination trip, you're, you're trying to get to that place. And you have all these these dreams and hopes and expectations about what that place is going to be like and what you're going to be able to do there, what rides you're going to be on, what encounters you're going to have, what experiences you're going to uh, be a part of. And, and the ride really is just kind of just getting you there. Okay. But the truth of the matter is that's where what life is a, a, like a lot of times, right? We're, we're often in those in-between times. We have, maybe it's a, uh, a big event coming up for if you're younger, you know, uh, I'm graduating or um, I'm turning 16 or I'm turning 21 or you, you have those, you have those moments that are kind of out there, you know, I'm, I'm getting engaged, I'm getting married, you know, um, my first job or whatever it may be. If you're a little older, you know, it's uh, the dreams are maybe just a little bit smaller. I can't wait till my next vacation time, my time off, you know, um, you know, uh, having children, um, expectations concerning them, maybe a new job, a, a new location. You have those things that are out there. And we spend a lot of time in the in-between. A lot of time looking forward to the next thing. Today, in our passage in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we find Israel in an in-between time. Okay. Chapter 3, we talked about how God has, has set aside, has set apart Samuel for his purposes. He's called him as a prophet. He's established Samuel as a, as a, as a certain and secure prophet to lead Israel, uh, to play a, a major part in them moving toward what? Their next step, which is what? The king. That'll be, their, that'll be the next big moment in Israel's history is the selection of their first king. And here we have Samuel established, the last of the judges. We have a king that's on the horizon. And we have Israel in that in-between time. And what we do in that in-between time can often determine the success of the destinations that we're seeking can often determine the, the success of our, of our own life and our own commitments. It's important that we handle that in-between time in the correct manner, with the correct mindset and perspective and, and pursuing the, the correct ideas and ideals. 
So let's look at Israel's in-between time here and, and see how they did with this initial interaction. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4, uh, actually the second half of verse 1, Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped at Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped at Aphek. The Philistines lined up in the battle formation against Israel, and as the battle intensified, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who struck down about 4,000 men on the battlefield. When the troops returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh, then it will go with us and save us from our enemies. So the people sent men to Shiloh to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim. Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord entered the camp, all of Israelites raised such a loud shout that the ground shook. The Philistines heard the sound of the war cry and asked, What is this loud shout in the Hebrews' camp? When the Philistines discovered that the Ark of the Lord had entered the camp, they panicked. A god has entered their camp, they said. Woe to us, nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who will rescue us from these magnificent gods. These are the gods that slaughtered the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Show some courage and be men, Philistines. Otherwise, you'll serve the Hebrews just as they served you. Now be men and fight. So the Philistines fought. And Israel was defeated, and each man fled to his tent. The slaughter was severe. Thirty thousand of the Israelite foot soldiers fell. The ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. They didn't do too well, did they? In this in-between moment, in this in this moment of of expectation of of where God's going to lead and what God's going to do next, Israel ultimately failed. And I think they failed because of a variety of, of issues that, that can also play a part in our own failures in the in-between time. So I want to suggest some things this morning that from this passage that, that should help us in our journey, help us in our identity, help us respond appropriately. And the first thing I think I want to say to us this morning is we need to keep perspective. Long-term battles are part of life. And so often in our life, we get wrapped up in the moment. We get wrapped up in the circumstance. We get wrapped up in, in the present struggle, and we, and we lose sight of the long-term realities of, of who God is and who God has called us to be. And because of that, we panic, just as Israel panicked here. They, they went into battle with the Philistines, a battle that they have done already several times, and they're going to do several more times. In the years ahead, the Philistines moved into the land roughly the same time that Israel did. And because they were seeking to control land that Israel controlled, and Israel was seeking to control land that Israel, uh, the Philistines controlled, this was going to be a long time circumstance. It won't be until the time of Hezekiah that the Philistines are finally subdued. Okay. That's some 400 years uh, after this. It's going to be a while. It's a long-term battle that Israel is involved in. And we need to keep perspective in our battles, our daily battles. No single battle is the end of the fight, but every battle has implications. Okay. In other words, 
in those battles that we fight, in those circumstances that we encounter in the in-between time, whatever that in-between time looks like for you, whether it's, it's again, a, a, a lifetime situation, a, a commitment for this life and, and this circumstance, or whether it's you're just waiting for Jesus to come back or something else like that. We need to understand that, that the battles we fight are just that. They're individual battles. Yes, they have implications for the bigger battle, and it's important that we respond to them appropriately. It's important that we respond to them in faith. It's important that we respond to them uh, according to God's desires and commitments for us. But it's also important that we understand that no single battle is the end of it. No victory is the final victory. No loss is the final loss. So we need to keep perspective and not slip into a panic like the Israelites did here. They lose the battle. And you would think that this was the, the worst thing that ever happened to them. Why did this happen to us? What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? And then they do something completely idiotic, as we'll look at here in a little bit. We lose, when we lose perspective, we slip into poor choices. We slip into panic mode. And panic mode is, is, is never a good mode to be in because you lose all sense of, of reason, of logic. Emotions become the ruling factor in your life, and, and you're unable to respond to things in, in a way that's appropriate. And so it's important that, number one, we keep perspective. Number two, we need to know our place and our role. What is our place and our role in this particular moment, in this particular time? The passage here gives us three things that, that reflect this, this um, challenge, reflect this uh, identity for who we are as believers following our God. The, the first thing is we need, to, we need to be responsible. We need to take responsibility for what happens. There in verse 3 it says, Why did the Lord defeat us today before the Philistines? So God's the one who brought the outcome. At the very least, that's, that's almost a good start. They, they see that God is in control. They see that God's in charge. So, so there's, there's some credit, I guess, to be given there, that they identify that, that God is the one who's in charge of the victory. But you never get an answer, do you? They never come up with an answer for why did God do this? They just what? They just plan their own solution, their own circumstance, their own direction. But why did God do this? Well, we've, we've been told over the last couple chapters why God did this, and that is that Eli has been leading them down a path that is ungodly, and that his sons have been participating in activities that are ungodly. These priests have been taking the, the sacrifices, the portion of the sacrifice that rightfully belong to God, these priests have been having uh, sexual relations with the women who worked in the temple, the tabernacle. These priests have been ignoring God's precepts and God's instructions, uh, so much so that they can't even recognize God anymore. And God has spoken a word of judgment against them. So why did God bring this loss to the Israelites, this victory to the Philistines? Because Israel had sinned against him. 
while God had done it, Israel was responsible. And in our own experiences, we need to take responsibility for what's ours. We need to take responsibility for for what we've been given to do. Are we pursuing the spiritual disciplines that God has laid out before us in his word as instructions for how we live our life? Have we been participating in, in activities and events that are honoring to him? Have we been pointing the world around us to the one who can save? Are we being salt and light to use Jesus' words? Now, God has not given us the responsibility of the harvest. The harvest is his. But he's what? He's He's given us the responsibility to be workers to go out into the harvest, to share the truth, to communicate his desire and his will for humanity. So often we find ourselves in in periods of struggle because we have not taken responsibility for things. We've settled for mediocrity. We've settled for good enough. We've settled for, well, I'm there on Sundays. We've settled for uh, things that, that... may be pleasing to the eyes of men, but are not expressions of a true commitment and love for a God. Our God is worth our very best. And too often we have given him nothing but mediocrity and good enough. Secondly, be authentic. Notice what the Israelites do here. After they've lost this initial battle. They get together and they say what? Let's go get the ark. Now, why why are they going to go get the ark? What what is their plan? What's their intention in going to get in the ark? Why do they think of that as a solution to their circumstance? Because that's what previous generations had done. When God led Israel out of the wilderness, what? The ark went before them. When it came time to cross into the promised land uh, uh, through the Jordan River, the ark went before them. When it came time to take the city of Jericho, the ark was part, went in front of them as they marched around the city each day and then on the seventh day. And then you have there Jericho as well as what? When the ark comes into the presence, what are they supposed to do? Shout, for the Lord has given the city into your hands. And so when the ark comes before them here, what do they do? They shout so that the ground itself shakes. What are they doing? They're following a prescribed way of doing things that they've seen work before, so it must be good enough to work again now. There's no authenticity here. There's no worship of God here. There's no submission of God here. There's no recognition of God's place and God's role in their life and in their commitment and their calling. There's no repentance of sin. There's no uh, acknowledgement of his challenge to him. There's simply, this is what we've done before, so let's do it again. And we'll expect better results. A lot of times I see churches nowadays 
uh, following this, this pattern in terms of, of revival services. Well, in the past, we had revival services, and they worked. So why can't we have revival services again? I have no objection to revival services. But I have objection, objection to that line of reasoning. We don't do things simply because they worked before. We do things because God has led us to that conclusion that that's what we need to be doing now. Too often we are so wrapped up in, in following the patterns. If this happens in my life, I'm, I'm going to pray this prayer. Or I'm going to give this offering. Or I'm going to fast for this amount of days or whatever. Why? Because that's what God led us to before. And because it worked back then, we're going to do it now. Instead of what? Going to the Lord in a fresh way, in a new way, and say, God, how would you have me respond to this situation? What would you have me do in this particular circumstance? Speak to my heart, Lord. Let your word reveal to me the things that are true, the things that, that need to be done. Mimicry of previous avenues of action does not ensure the same results. And we see that happen here. What? They lose the battle. They lose the ark. Why? Because the third place, third role, is to be humble. Your translation, my translation says, let's bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Shiloh. Then it will go with us and save us from our enemies. Your translation may say that he may go with us and save us from our enemies. In, in Hebrew, there is no neuter pronoun. It doesn't exist. So the translators here are simply... Um, using the, the, the rule of the antecedent. The antecedent is what? Let's go get the ark of the Lord. Okay. Then you got the pronoun. The pronoun seems to be referring to the ark of the Lord. So the translators, my translators, are rendering it it. That the ark's going to come in and, and bring the victory. But the literal word there is he. Which suggests at least the possibility that what they're thinking here is what? Let's go get the ark so God has to fight on our behalf. It's a manipulation of God that's in their heart and their mind. Either way, this is not humility that they're practicing here. This is arrogance. We have the ark, and as long as we have the ark, we have victory. Let's go get it. God has to fight for us if we get the ark. God has to do what we ask him to do, tell him to do, if we have the instrument that controls him. It's a mindset of presumption. God owes us this victory. God owes us this deliverance. God owes us this outcome. Again, if we just follow the, the magical steps, then he has to do what we tell him to do. And we'll win it. To hear the people of God in this context 
proclaim such words is, is to hear them, uh, hear some foreshadowing of, of where they're going to be in the years ahead. In the time of Jeremiah, as Israel is facing destruction at the hands of Babylon, you have Israelites there saying, we have the temple, therefore we can't lose. And Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 7 mentions this incident here in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel and says, God didn't stop it then. You think you're going to stop it now? You go into the New Testament era. We have the temple. God's with us. Jesus says, there's not going to be a stone left on top of a stone with that temple. God's going to judge you. They kept going back to that same thing. And we ourselves so often keep going back to the same things which tells us we cannot, the third point here, we cannot replace God with something less. Even something he's gifted us with. You understand that? We cannot replace God with something less than him. I'll have no other gods before my face. I won't allow any rivals. I'm a jealous God, he says. And here they've replaced God with the ark. Either through manipulation or through seeing the ark as some power in itself. What are we replacing God with? A reason? Logic. Maybe it's our spiritual gifts, something God's blessed us with, some ability He's put into our hearts, into our minds, and He has enhanced through the Spirit. Our church fellowship, our church itself. I go to church, that's good enough, right, God? The Bible. The Bible reveals to us God's will and God's desire, but it is no replacement for God himself. Pastor, spouse, a child, what have we replaced God with? What has become our source of strength and hope and direction in our life. What are we leaning on when the struggles come in? If the answer is not God, then it's sin. It's idolatry. No matter how good that object, that item, that person may be, they were not brought into our lives. They were not given to us to replace God. And you see that because Israel has tried to manipulate God here, he's not even present. How do we know he's not present? Because when you look in verse 6 and 7 following, it says what? It says the Philistines heard that the ark had come in, 
And at first they panic. Why? Because they knew history. They knew what God had done to the Egyptians. They knew what God had done to the other nations in the Transjordan region, Edom and Moab, Ammon. They knew what God had done to many of the city-states within Canaan. How God had given most of the land to Israel. They, they knew the history. They knew what Israel's God was capable of. But we see quite quickly God's not here. How do we see that? Because it says, verse 9, Show some courage and be men, Philistines. Otherwise you'll serve the Hebrews just as they served you. Now be men and fight. That tells us what? That tells us God's not present with the ark. Because every time we've seen the ark present before, the enemies of God melt before it. In the face of the real, actual presence of God, the Philistines are not going to be able to say, be men and fight. The Philistines are going to be saying, woe is me, God is present and I am undone. So God's not there. The people of Israel thought they could manipulate him. They sought to replace him with something less, and so he said, I'm going to give you that something less. Take the ark but I'm not going with it. Let's see if it really brings you the victory you think it will. He's handed them over to their own lust, to their own commitments, to their own gods. Now Israel finds himself in this place. They they find themselves replacing God, and they find themselves losing this battle primarily because they're not practicing the disciplines God's given them. They're not searching out God's Word. Remember what's just happened in chapter 3. God has just called Samuel. God has revealed Samuel to be his prophet. God has revealed Samuel to be a person, what? whose word never falls to the ground. Every word he speaks comes true. Why on earth is he not consulted in chapter 4? I mean, verse 1 starts with, Samuel's words came to all Israel. And yet, he's not present in the story anyway. They go into battle, they lose, they get together. Nobody says, hey, let's get Samuel in here. Let's see what Samuel says we should do. Let's see what God would have us do. We have God's prophet in our midst. Let's consult him. Instead, they make their own little plans. We're going to mimic past experiences. We're going we're, we're gonna to try and manipulate God. We're, we're going to try and organize this according to our own reason, our own logic. So often in our lives today, when, when hard times come, when difficult times come, we, we, we turn to all sorts of advice except for God's Word. 
we ignore the clear teachings of God and, and what He's called us to and, and what He's instructed us in for the sake of things that are more tangible, maybe a little clearer. My pastor gave me four steps to a better life, so I'm going to follow those four steps. Instead of seeing what God, Word Himself, says about what I should be doing in this circumstance. In the in-between time, it's important that we look at these things. My wife and I, when we first got married, and we were taking trips and so forth, and we were talking about her capacity to stay awake during trips and my capacity to stay awake during trips and all those sorts of fun things. She said that whenever she was a kid and she started asking the, are we there yet, question, you know what her parents did? They gave her a map. I say, you figure out where we're at, how much longer we have. Are we there yet? And I think that's what God does with us too. Are we there yet, Lord? Have we arrived at, at the location? Have we, have we arrived at the destination? Have we arrived at where you want us to be? And God says, look at the map. Look at my word. Let it instruct you as to what you're to do and where you're at and what's going on. We also need to know, in the midst of all this, just as I started, I said that, what, no single battle is the end of it. And this loss here is not the end of it. We need to know that what is lost can be restored. We're not without hope. The passage starts here with what? They were camped out at Ebenezer. The stone of help, the stone of remembrance. As they're camped here at Ebenezer, we know they go forward, they fight their battle. But notice what happens a couple chapters later. Once they've learned their lesson, they have Samuel in their midst, they have Samuel leading them, instructing them, guiding them. You see them responding the way God's word says to respond. It says, verse 12, Afterwards, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mitzpah and Sin, and he named it Ebenezer. This the story, the section is called the Stories of the Ark. And it starts in 4 and it ends in 7. It starts with an Ebenezer. It ends with an Ebenezer. The whole point is to say what? That this stone of help that was present there in verse 1, they, they apparently they ignored it. Because the stone of help is what? It's only put there to mark where God has previously delivered you. So at some point earlier in Israel's history, God had helped them in this very location. They had erected a stone to remember that, and now they've forgotten it. 
They go through the whole entire process with the ark, and as we'll look into the days ahead, and at the end, what? They establish another stone of help, another Ebenezer. What's the point? The point is that God is in the business of helping his people. He'd helped them in the past. He'll help them in the future. And you need to understand in your battles and your struggles in life, that no loss is the final loss. As long as you're here, as long as you're breathing, God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a calling on your life. But he hasn't left you to your own devices. Christ's last words to us were what? Lo, I am with you always. Jesus is our Ebenezer. He is that stone of help. He is that one that delivers. He is that one who directs and guides. He is the one who is revealed in God's word. He is the one who is empowered in our lives as we surrender with responsibility, authenticity, and humility. He is the one who will see us through the in-between times. So my question today for you is, what are you waiting for? I'm sure all of us have something that's on the horizon we're looking forward to. Some next big thing, some next moment. But most of life doesn't happen in those big moments. Most of life happens in the in-between time. And we need to be mindful and responsible and respectful for what God wants to do with us in that in-between time. And Frank, who I'm sure you all know the story of, a tragic story on so many levels, and yet a young lady who expressed hope beyond her years wrote in her diaries how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. We don't have to wait for the next big thing. We have a God who's fully capable of moving right here, right now, in our midst. God has called us to make disciples. What? As we go. Not once you've arrived, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. Will we be obedient to that call? Will we be following him in the in-between time? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. That you've not left us in the dark. That you've not left us wondering about your purpose for our lives, about the nature of who you are, but that you have 
revealed to us, challenged us, called us on a great endeavor, a great mission to tell the world who you are. God, we ask that you use this time now for your glory and for your purposes. In Christ's name.